G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is a, uh, a short review, one game in round 12 to sign off on, a big preview of round 13 and plenty of other footy talk besides as we uh, have a, a little tiny piece of normality before Footy Fest 2 kicks in and we all go crazy watching football around the clock. As I say, a very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Fine? I'm well, and I'm sort of appreciating the uh, normal week of football, not having football every night. I know it's only a short respite, as you pointed out, because we're back to footy frenzy, fiesta, fantastica number two in about a week. I don't, I don't mind having a day off here or there. Not too many, not too many. Uh, no, I, I have enjoyed the last couple of evenings, I have to say. Um, but uh, well, plenty of footy still going on in the background, plenty of news we're going to talk about very shortly. But uh, i tell you one thing we should always talk about, our wonderful sponsors, Finey, and the best hamburgers in the goddamn universe. I'm starting to think that Andrew's hamburgers a constant through, well, they're 81 years young. You know, they've they've seen the good times, they've seen the bad times, but they've outlasted the whole lot and they are still there at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. They're sort of a, um, they're like landfall. They're, they're a, a sign of better times ahead. But they're also available during these tough times. Those magnificent buns, beautiful meat. Fresh beading vegetables, it all hasn't changed. It, it's, it's a constant that reminds us of better times and probably sort of points us towards better times in the future. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park for the great Andrews Hamburgers. And what about the finest home renovations in the goddamn universe? I don't know what they're doing on, you know, planet Mercury and I don't know what they're doing what are some other galaxies? The Andromeda galaxy? I, oh, really I, I would have been happy to go with other planets in our solar system, but uh, you've yeah, always yeah. got to make it complicated. Go on. All right. Well, I don't know what they're doing in other galaxies or even in our own solar system, but certainly down here on Earth, West Point Properties, Nick Spartel's magnificent home builds, southeast Melbourne, uh, inner city suburbs, you can't beat them. West Point Properties and Contact Nick Spartels. All right, well, we've got a review, we've got previews, we've got a lot of news to talk about. Let's do that right now. On Footyology, Newsbeat. Well, finally, I, I do get a bit tired of talking uh, match review officer, tribunal, blah, 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 but there's no doubt the uh, Tom Lynch fine for his off-the-ball punch on Gold Coast, Sam Collins, has been a talking point ever since that game 
on Monday night. The consensus, uh, I think, is that he's pretty lucky to uh, get away with only a fine. But uh, I think people in general are getting a bit tired of this whole fining concept generally and uh, the apparent contradiction that players are getting rubbed out for misjudged tackles and bumps. And yet uh, guys who are indulging in off-the-ball activities are getting a slap on the wrist with a wet lettuce leaf. How have you seen this one? Well, this really... I think it shows a failure in the system because the system is based on trying to get players and and, and clubs, but mainly players, to, to take a, an early plea, accept the judgment of the max review officer and move on. And this is done through, I guess, some incentives and also through a system that basically uh, decides whether or not a particular act, it grades it for the severity of the act in terms of um, the impact and also where to the body it takes place. Now, what it doesn't take into account is the game time. So, we have a situation basically where Tom Lynch has, you know, delivered an unsuspecting punch that has winded Sam Collins. And as a result, Tom Lynch was able to get off the leash and kick effectively the match winning goal. You know, I know Richmond kicked one at the very end of the game, but realistically that was the one that put the contest beyond doubt, but there's nothing within the rules and the assignment of sort of points that, allows for that. So I think game time is quite critical. And if if that particular offence was heard by the old tribunal, I'm sure it would have been taken into account that it was a particularly sensitive time of the game. And I don't believe a fine is sufficient. And I'm with those. I'm in the corner of those people that suggest that either, well, first of all, that Tom Lynch got away with blue murder and that the system does need some fine tuning. What do you reckon? Well, I, I reckon I reckon it's exposed the AFL as being full of piss and wind, to be perfectly frank, because uh, it was, what, I think the end of 2018, uh, they were talking very loudly about zero tolerance on all punches, jumper punches, gut punches, jabs. Then, again, before the start of last year, they came out and announced a, a so-called crackdown on all this stuff. We're always talking about appearances and what's a good look and what isn't a good look. Well, surely, surely a worse look for the game than an ill-judged tackle, which is at least in the course of play, is something happening off the ball that's totally unnecessary. And look, I don't have an axe to grind with Tom Lynch per se. I mean, a lot of people do have because this comes on the heels of him pushing Alex Witherden's head into the turf, which was also unnecessary but if you're serious about the look of the game and cleaning it up these are the sorts of things that actually you need to make a statement on and they're just they they are they are full of it because the words are fine you've got to back it up with actions and we've seen plenty of players suspended for punches I mean Zach Merritt got one earlier this year for a, a hit on uh, Jack Silvani of Carlton and I saw that one and I thought, okay, well, it wasn't much, but it, yeah, it's it was unnecessary and it was behind play and uh, that sets the precedent. Well, clearly it hasn't. And, um, you know, if this comes down to a flaw in their grading system, 
it needs to be addressed. You can't be serious about how the game looks and cleaning it up and then let stuff like this go with a fine. And, and you know, when guys are as highly paid as Tom Lynch is, what does a $1,000 fine mean? It's, it's chicken feet. Yeah, it's irrelevant, isn't it? There's not a, a sport in the world that condones that sort of behind the play. And it's more than shenanigans, that low act, really, because uh, people might say, oh, look, it's only a, a tummy tap, but it's not. I, I defy anybody to stand there and unsuspecting copper punch to the solar plexus. It's very uncomfortable. And it deserves a week at least on every single occasion. Yeah, well, I think we're in agreement on that. Uh, Obviously, a lot of Richmond supporters probably aren't, but uh, I I suspect they should count their blessings that they have Tom Lynch available uh, for this week. Uh, Look, another story that's uh, building in momentum for obvious reasons. We're getting closer to it. Uh, and it's a tough one and is the subject of the venue for the grand final. Now, the AFL has said that they want to have a, a venue in place and announced by the end of this month, which gives them 11 days from now. Uh, we know the MCG's out, hasn't been officially announced, but obviously it is. And the jockeying for the venue has commenced. Now, uh, it appears the the, uh, unofficial betting markets now have the Gabba as a fairly short favourite. There's clearly some significant um, uh, lobbying being done on part of the Queensland government in cahoots with some influential media commentators. I noticed Caroline Wilson jumped on that one last week. there's, I think, some sort of moral argument that they deserve it, given that I did a count yesterday, actually, and we'd had, I think, 104 games and the two Queensland venues had hosted 42 of them. So uh, that plus accommodating all the teams in, in the hubs, there's no doubt the season wouldn't have gone ahead without the uh, incredible cooperation of Queensland footy authorities and the government. I think from a purist point of view, uh, I would prefer to see it at Optus Stadium in Perth. But the issue there is uh, Mark McGowan, the WA Premier, has said that um, the first possible date for a capacity crowd of 60,000 would be the 24th of October, which is the the first of two potential grand final dates. Uh, You've also got the issue there of quarantine. 14 days necessary. So we'd probably have to have a week off before the grand final were it to be played there. South Australia, well, we haven't heard a lot about Adelaide Oval. I think they're still developing their submission. And New South Wales, probably rightly, is a distant last in this because A, they don't seem overly interested and B, the venue would be uh, Homebush, the most detested AFL (laughs) venue in the history of the game. So... um, at the moment, it's looking like the Gabba. Do you have any strong feelings about where it should be? Yeah, look, I mean, I've not been keen on the Gabba only because of that particular ground, their management and their curator stance on AFL football only, well, less than 24 months ago. But I guess times have changed and you can't get more changed in a, a year of COVID-19. There are pressing reasons why you would have it in Queensland. One, of course, as you pointed out, the support of the Queensland government has been central to this season taking place. 
also the opportunity to promote the game in a part of Australia that has never really embraced Australian rules football or not as strongly as the amount of money that's been put into it. We've had, you know, a couple of attempts at a successful team on the Gold Coast. It seems as though Brisbane are a year-to-year proposition depending on variables such as on-field success and other matters. So maybe this is an opportunity to entrench AFL football in that area for once and for all. And it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm starting to think it's probably the right place to have it, Rowan. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning more in that direction. I'll tell you one thing though, that probably I've actually written a column for the Guardian, uh, which is up online now about this, but it hasn't really been talked about much. And it is the, the long-term ramifications of wherever it's held, not so much for that venue particularly, but just the concept of a grand final being held outside the MCG. Now, we know that the government, the AFL and the MCG uh, signed a three-way deal on the MCG, locking that in as the venue until 2057. How's that for a futuristic sounding date? Uh, <laughs> It's, it's a long time. Uh, it's worth $500 million. And uh, my understanding is it's pretty watertight. The interesting part, though, is when that was signed, and I think probably one reason it was signed was because there was a, a lot of pressure building about the rights of non-Victorian teams to host grand finals that their ladder position and finals progress had deserved. And this was probably underscored, I think, by Adelaide in 2017, who by rights um, had had earned the hosting rights to the grand final, had to play it at their opponent's home ground, which just happened to be Richmond. And that was the latest in a succession of Victorian v non-Victorian grand finals in which the interstate side had uh, ended up on the losing end. And The more I've thought about this, the more I've thought that if you're serious about integrity of the competition, this actually should be a non-negotiable. Now, I just wonder if wherever it's held, if this grand final goes smoothly and uh, it's a good crowd and everyone's satisfied on the entertainment, we we don't get a repeat of Angry Anderson and the Batmobile and the, the one grand final we've had away from the MCG in 75 years. Uh, I can see that pressure starting again, regardless of the contract. And if you've got the weight of a whole country pushing that barrow, I wonder if his contract is strong enough to hold up against that. And I don't know if this is controversial, but I will say officially, I've I've changed my view on this. I, I think that if you're serious about everyone getting the fairest possible conditions in which to win a premiership, the side which earns the right to host a grand final should be entitled to host it. Does capacity concern you at all? There's it does. Always, yeah, it does. It does. Always been that argument that you know, are we denying up to well, what are the capacities? Well, sixty thousand. Uh, Adelaide Oval was a bit over fifty. Yep. Uh, Homebush, uh, Perish, the thought is, I think, high 70s. And the Gabba is absolute tops, I think, still under 50. So, yeah. yes, that that is definitely my biggest concern. But, um, you know, it's pretty hard to argue otherwise that if you've been totally fair, 
sides like Adelaide should have been entitled to host it in 2017. Yeah, I mean, you're right. So uh, would you run that right throughout the final series? Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, you'd have to. And we do run it right throughout the final series until the grand final. I mean, in actual fact, we, we didn't do that until, when was it? I think 2005, after Brisbane had to play a, a home preliminary final against Geelong at the MCG and arguably cost them a fourth flag in a row. Um, but that has been the case now for a good 15 years, that right up until the grand final, the side that's earned the hosting right does get it. So, yeah. Are, look, we, talking, are we talking home state or are we talking home ground? In other words, would Geelong be able to play at GMHBA right through... No, no, and that's a good point. There'd have to be some sort of minimum, uh, you know, crowd able to attend. So if it was Geelong, it'd have to be the MCG. But look, I mean, this probably isn't going to happen. I'm just saying that if we, if we are serious about the business of integrity, this is something that would have been considered more uh, meaningfully than it has. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it does become a thorny proposition. You know, what if we have a Gold Coast-Brisbane grand final? Is that fair that we play that at the Gabba? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. I must say, I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, maybe I'm just thinking that will never happen, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it, it very well could. No, look, th these are all good Mur points. Murphy's Law, Rowan. I, I just think, I, I think that if wherever this one is hosted, if it goes well, that argument is definitely going to surface again. We will wait and see. All right, a couple more things uh, more briefly we need to touch on. One is the uh, Elijah Taylor affair, I guess, and uh, that, of course, if you've been on Mars, was that uh, he received an unauthorised visit from his uh, girlfriend over in uh, the Swans Hub in Perth. Uh, they got busted and uh, the... Swans were promptly fined $50,000, half of that suspended. But speaking of suspended, Elijah Taylor has been. He is uh, really out of out of action for the rest of this season. Not that the Swans were going to make finals. Um, but there's been a really horrible uh, sequel to this too, in which he was the subject of some vile racist abuse. And uh, I had the misfortune to see the actual post in question. It was absolutely disgusting. Uh, once again, and um, again, sadly, in on the eve of Indigenous round, we are forced to confront the thorny issue of racism in football. I actually don't believe this is... I, I no longer believe this is an issue of racism in football, Rowan. I really don't. I mean, I, you saw the tweet... I did not see it, but I understand it was vile. Yeah, it was an Instagram post, actually, if we're yep. being technical. Okay. Um, I maybe I've maybe I'm naive. I just don't believe that your rank and file football supporter that even inhabits the murky world of social media has such a a blatant um, disregard for their fellow human being. The reason I don't believe it is because what football team could you possibly support 
that doesn't have Indigenous players and doesn't have a, a, now a great history with Indigenous players that would make you put such a thing on Instagram. And I really believe because it's almost almost without fail when there is a, a controversial incident involving an Indigenous footballer, I believe the discussion is being ambushed by right-wing right wing groups that are very adept at embedding themselves in the argument, creating these, these brush fires and just seeing what, you know, where it takes hold, creating foment. And I really believe it's the professional work of active right-wing groups like neo-Nazi groups, skinhead groups, white Australia groups, those, those um, disgraceful, or those, you know, those disgraceful, vile individuals and organisations that exist uh, primarily online and feed online. And I don't believe this was any accident at all. No, I, I think it's, uh, I, I tend to agree with you, actually. There's no, well, I mean, I see enough of it on Twitter. The, um, the uh, alt-right brigade and how they're able to whip things up. We see a lot of it on Facebook's probably the platform where you see most of that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, I guess the argument is that every society has its share of vile human beings. And, um, you know, I guess the, the question then becomes, do we completely ignore it or do we take it on? And uh, it's a really tough one because uh, by not ignoring it, you give it oxygen. Um, but by ignoring it, it almost comes down to tacit, uh, not approval, but, um, you know, preparedness to to let it be. It's just a really sad thing that these guys who comprise, you know, well over 10% of our AFL playing population are constantly subjected to this sort of stuff and I don't know how it ends really but um, whilst we can call it out and whilst the people doing it you know can in some way be identified I guess it gets back to a discussion about social media and should everyone have to have their identity exposed to be part of social media and there are arguments for and against that one too it's, it, it, it's a wider societal issue really it's bigger than football itself but uh geez i wish we didn't have to go through it as as often as we did because it's bloody depressing stuff yeah the the only thing i would say in terms of um on an ongoing management of this this um it's worse than trolling this illegal behavior is if you're a football fan and you share a chat room, some sort of social media platform or a real life connection with active racists at your football club at AFL level, then F U C K them off because FRO, finally you can use my trademarked FRO phrase for this one. Yeah. FRO. And just understand this. These people, dare they, if they are football supporters, because first and foremost, whoever put that up is a racist and probably a card-carrying racist. 
But that doesn't mean, you know, they're not mutually exclusive groups, are they? Are they? So you can be a card-carrying racist, a member of a right-wing, far-right-wing organisation and also a football uh, supporter of a football club. Well, there's no place for you at that club. Well, you forgot one. You could, you're probably a panellist on Sky News After Dark as well. Well, well, I'll leave that to you, Rowan. But I'm talking about the thin edge of the wedge that are white supremacists, far-right wingers that also barrack for an AFL club. And I'm sure that that is a small intersecting group. Well, your AFL club doesn't want you. Go away. You're a hypocrite. Be true to yourself. If you're a far-right winger and a white supremacist, leave football alone because your football club has currently got and has a history of proudly uh, proudly being involved with Indigenous footballers. So they don't want you. If you are a skinhead, a Nazi, a white Australia policy holder, whatever the name of your group is, piss off. Football doesn't want you. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't barrack for a football team because there are Indigenous people in your football team, let alone other ethnicities, and you can't have it both ways. So go and play with yourselves, play with your skinhead mates, enjoy your all-white Australia, but football and you are no longer connectable or compatible, I should say. So goodbye. You can't be both. Ta-ta. See you later. Uh, no, here, here. Couldn't agree more. Well said. Uh, and just to finish off, too, and again on Indigenous round, and, and this one's pretty sad as well, it is the commercial appropriation of the Indigenous flag, which uh, this round will not be seen on players' jumpers or painted on grounds because, unbeknown to a lot of people until the last few days, the Indigenous flag has been trademarked by a clothing label, Wham Clothing, um, and anyone who wants to use it has to pay uh, a licence fee, and it's already got Buddy Franklin into trouble with uh, a, a clothing uh, range that he's bought out with his uh, partner, and um, it's a cause of much angst. Uh, I saw, uh, I think, Michael Long and uh, might have been Nova Paris, um uh, staging a protest of sorts about this. And I don't know how this has been allowed to happen, really, that uh, this ridiculous position where Indigenous people can't fly their, their own flag without paying money to a, a, a clothing company for it. Jeez, that's pretty tacky, I would have thought. Who is this? Cl- surely, surely public outcry will, will get them to relinquish that that. Um, copyright hold on the indigenous flag. Well, it's that's uh, outrageous it, behaviour. It is outrageous, and uh, it, and actually, that will be a good test of just how serious people are about support for indigenous issues. Because uh, you can just imagine the sort of publicity campaign that would be mounted in the media were the Australian flag appropriated and commercialised similarly. So, um, yeah, they can, all, they can have the Aussie flag. Though. Yeah, no, I'm not. A, I'm a huge fan of the Australian flag, but I understand people's some people's emotional attachment to it. But all pretty tacky, I've got to say, and uh, sad that it's again. You know, it's a, amazing how Indigenous around every year seems to produce some sort of controversy, and perhaps that's a, a statement in itself that we've still got a fair way to go on these sorts of issues. Uh, 
All right, there is enough news. We've uh, no, is... no, one more piece of news. Okay, what is it? Well, you've done it again, Rowan. You've um, your your fiery, emotional, but resonating uh, response to Essendon's very poor form against St Kilda made it into uh, sort of beyond footyology into Fox Sports, did it not? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. No, Fox Sports ran a story the other day quoting uh, a few people on Essendon's woes, uh, one of which was some silly old bugger on the footyology podcast. So well, that was... I well, thought, done, well, I thought, geez, they're desperate for content. But... Um, no, it did. It got a it got a bit of traction. I've had some interesting phone calls and discussions with people over the last few days. Uh, uh, so yeah, I can clear up a couple of queries. No, I won't be running for the board. Um, <laughs> flattered as I am with the offers, no, I won't be running for the board. Uh, sincerely, I, I really do hope this club uh, or that club can get its act together because I can tell you. Absolutely, definitively after the reaction, there's a lot of very, very frustrated people about two decades of, as we called it, sustained mediocrity. Did um, anybody from the club reach out to you? Uh, no, funnily enough. Uh, a, a lot of former uh, employees of the yes. club did, yep. which uh, says a bit as well. So, yeah, well, watch this space. There may be... Uh, Let's just put it this way. There's going to be a lot of people watching how they perform on Saturday night in the Dreamtime game very, very closely. Yep. All right. Uh, we've got games to review and preview. Let's get on to that. On Footyology, wrap around. All right. Since we last spoke to you, one game on Monday evening, which finished off round 12 and the first league of Footy Fest. It was between Richmond and Gold Coast, and it finished up in a 21-point win to the Tigers. Eight goals, five, 53, defeating Gold Coast, four goals, eight, 32. In the context of a a low-scoring game, that would appear a reasonably comfortable margin, but they had to work hard for this one, the Tigers. In fact, Gold Coast led by 10 points at halftime, having held the Tigers to just two goals but they turned the tables, Richmond, in the second half, as you suspected they would, came out all guns blazing in the third term. Well, they only added three goals, but they did restrict the Suns to two behinds. And then a further three goals in the final term to the Suns one. So Gold Coast kicking just one goal to six in the second half. The goal kickers, two to Lynch, two to Rewalt, singles to Chole, McIntosh, Pickett and Soldo. All single goal kickers for the Suns, Flanders, uh, geez, I wanted to call him Ned then, uh, King, Sexton and Ellis. A pretty uh, pretty uh, dour, scrappy affair, Finey. What did you make of this one? Now, I don't know if you remember this game, Rowan, but uh, must be 15 years ago now, around that sort of time, maybe around then. St Kilda defeated Essendon at the MCG. Do you remember that game? Uh, the one where St Kilda kicked incredibly accurately, or oh, that was in the mid nineties. No, no, that was with, that was with Brian Wilson. That was predated that. No, this was a game in which, and I have no. no you'll problem, have to remind me what happened. But well, I have no problems with this. But it was unusual in that on Brownlow Medal Night, 
Essendon players got the three, two and one vote. So even though St Kilda won, all the votes went to Essendon players. Okay. And in recalling the game, I remember thinking, that's not unfair. You know what? I reckon the three best players on the ground were Gold Coast players. Uh, can, I have a, can I have a guess who you thought they were? Uh, yeah, I reckon sure. one would be uh, his Lacocious. Um, Absolutely. I uh, thought he was great. I thought Noah yeah. Anderson was very good. Um, I thought Jack Bowes was pretty good. Well, you've got two of mine. I actually thought Ellis played a really good game as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. But I can't I can't begin to put Richmond's best players even with those four. Who, who do you reckon Richmond? What I'm saying is that Richmond just found a way through experience, guile, and a bit of... Um, of the black arts with Tom Lynch, let's be honest, uh, to win a game of football. I think they understand winning games of football a bit more than Gold Coast, but Gold Coast should be commended uh, for really playing a decent brand of football. I, I, I'm trying to think sort of, again, I know Dustin Martin wasn't in the best three players on the ground. Trent Coxon wasn't. I, I don't think any of the Richmond midfielders, Shy Bolton, came in and out of the game, but he wasn't brilliant, not as good as previous weeks. The two forwards were effective. Jack Rewalt probably a little more so. And in the back line, um, you know, I, I I think Bolton was okay, not brilliant. Grimes okay. But I really believe the best players on the ground were the Gold Coast players. And to that end, I thought they played really well in that second quarter. Well, Look, Richmond had their chances in the first quarter, but I think on the balance of play, actually, the better chances in that half, first half, definitely belonged to Gold Coast. They could have been further ahead. I'm not saying Richmond wouldn't have reeled it in. I think Gold Coast got pretty tired in the end. But in an unusual game of football, Richmond's know-how, more than anything else, got them over the line. What do you reckon? Yeah, no, it's a it's a really good point, and it's probably uh, a vindication of Richmond's system again. I, I've I've noticed this a bit lately that sometimes um, in one of their recent wins in the last couple of weeks, you know, where the the numbers oh the Port Adelaide loss actually, the raw numbers sort of indicated that they had no right to even be in contention, which they were until the last yep. sort of ten minutes of the game, and it's a it's a vindication of their system that if everyone plays their part. Um, they're able to just efficiently get the job done without necessarily any standouts. I thought their better players were probably the defenders. I thought maybe Dylan Grimes their best. Um, Cam McIntosh. Yeah, I just yeah, yeah. yeah. Cam McIntosh. I thought was pretty yeah. good. I, I noticed him quite a bit. Floston was okay. Jaden Short, you know. So when you're talking about a team's defenders, it generally means uh, well, it means they've either got flogged or it's a pretty uh, you know, uh, dour sort of scrap, um, which, which this game was. I tell you, just speaking about um, appearances being deceptive, uh, it's interesting with Gold Coast, isn't it? Because we've we've ridiculed them for the last few seasons where they've had great early season form and then just fallen in a heap. Well, if you look at their win loss tally, it's exactly the same as those other seasons. They yeah. they won yeah. they won three of their first four. 
and they have won only one of their last eight games now. Now, they've had a draw as well against Essendon two weeks ago. But, um, you know, uh, the, the bottom line is that win-loss record looks pretty much the same as the last couple of seasons. Having said that, the losses include, you know, a four-point loss to St Kilda, a five-point loss to the Western Bulldogs, you know, 17 points against Melbourne. So there's no doubt they are a far more competitive and resilient side. But, gee, if you were if you were being a hard-ass as coach, you know, Stuart Dew, and I'm not saying he should be doing this, but he would be within his rights to hold up the three seasons win-loss records against each other and say, why are we any better than we have been when this is the bottom line? And they've got to start turning these close shaves into wins, don't they? They do, but uh, he's definitely been pretty positive this year with good cause. Uh, bottom line, yes, but I think you answered that discussion yourself, Rowan, with those close finishes and better performances and promising builds of a definitely a back line. You know who played well for them? Um, who's the new chap? For, for a number They're 46. all nukes. No, the particular... Oh, Flanders. Uh, is number 46, the defender. <laughs> uh, yes, not Flanders. This, got, this guy actually got reported as well. He got fined. He got involved in the to-dos as well. But, you know, they've added players throughout the season that I think have performed admirably. Uh, remembering that they didn't play Swallow and Harbrow in this game. and uh, K- one... Caleb Graham, by the way. Caleb Graham. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, for a third gamer, a uh, second or third gamer. Uh, do you reckon with Swallow and Harbrow, with that added experience, they might have further tested Richmond? I think they may have. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, look, it was. Uh, I mean, this was a result that was on the line until probably early in the last quarter. So, yeah, yeah. Again, no. Look, there's no doubt the the improvement is pretty obvious. It's just sort of funny that it, uh, you know, by in result terms, they're really tracking not a lot better than they had the previous couple of years. Now, now uh, how about the Tigers? Because I mean, they can't afford any slip-ups in the remaining month and a bit of football or, or at least five games of football, are they playing at a level that would be worrying to Damien Hardwick? I, I think they've got to click into the next gear right here, right now against the Bombers in the Dreamtime game. Yeah. Um, yeah, although having said that, I mean, 2017, they went to another level probably in the last three or four games of that season in terms of their scoring. Last year, they got steadily better. You know, like, I I think this is a side which is a a proven track record of hitting an absolute peak when when you most want it. The last couple of weeks haven't been great, no doubt about that. But, I mean, they did fix up Brisbane by seven goals in Queensland. Uh, They beat the Bulldogs by seven goals before that. Yep. So, you know, I, I don't think we've got too much to worry about. Uh, all right, there is round 12 done and dusted. Uh, time now to turn our attention to round 13. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round 13 kicks off Friday evening up in Darwin, uh, another location for this movable feast of an AFL season at T.O. Oval. 
at 7.50 Eastern Standard Time. And this game is the side we just talked about in the review, Gold Coast up against Carlton, fresh off that amazing um, last gasp victory over Fremantle and Perth. The Blues will certainly be on a high from that. Very intriguing contest, this one. We've got two sides that both appear on the up um, and both have acquitted themselves, I think, overall pretty well. I'm not sure Carlton's played in Darwin. In fact, I'm almost certain they haven't. So new territory for them. Uh, how do you see this one unfolding? Yeah, intriguing game, isn't it? Because if Carlton can parlay that last kick victory over Fremantle into back-to-back wins, they start pressing for a spot in the eight, which is uncharted territory for a lot of Carlton players, let's be honest. Gold Coast, on the other hand, have exactly what you were talking about to rally against, and that is that falling away and lack of wins in the last two-thirds of a football season, and they've really got to put the line in the sand, probably up in Darwin on Friday night. You know, I'm going to go for Gold Coast in this one. It's a little bit of a gut feel, Rowan, but the reason I'm selecting Gold Coast, and they'll bring back Harbrow and Swallow, who would have appreciated the week off or the break. I don't know if it's a full week off, uh, afforded them by that management. I think they can put a pretty good team on the field. The reason I'm selecting them is because I just get a sense with Carlton, they prefer when they're hunting rather than hunted, when they're underdog rather than favourite. And they have sort of, um, over the last couple of years, they they just in the spotlight, in the headlights, they tend to freeze a little bit. No. As much as that was a great result for them against Fremantle, it did show for both sides, but for Carlton we're dealing with here, a pretty dysfunctional forward line at the present time, not scoring enough goals. And I just think the Gold Coast might be able to get the better of them. Only a gut feel, but I'm tipping Gold Coast. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And and again, probably not a, a lot more than gut feel. Just, I wonder if the sorts sort of conditions we see up there might be closer to what Gold Coast are used to than the Blues. Um, now, having said that, I, I'm not 100% sure what the conditions will be like, but I just have this sort of feeling it might be a bit dewy and a, a bit slippery. Yeah, slippery. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, in, in my mind's eye, it's either pouring down or slippery. Yeah, I, I just think maybe their conditions Gold Coast might be a bit more familiar with. Obviously, it's going to be a, a huge bonus being able to bring Harbrow and Swallow back into that side. The yep. boys should get uh, Jack Martin back and uh, Cunningham as well, uh, which is a, a plus for them. I, I also wonder if just the emotional high of that uh, incredible Jack Nunes-inspired win over Fremantle might make this one just seem a, a bit of a downer for them. Now, obviously, they'll be guarding against that, but I, I think this is a real toss of the coin job. But again, uh, I'm, I'm like you. It's more a hunch than any firm reasoning, but uh, for me, Gold Coast as well. All right, uh, Saturday. We have four games on Saturday. The first of them is at Metricon Stadium at 1.45pm, and it is the Western Bulldogs taking on Melbourne. What happens in this one? 
another fascinating game of football. Beautiful round, actually. And Melbourne are at the height of their powers at the moment, aren't they? They've got Wiedemann functional, which makes a big difference to their forward line. Uh, Braden Priest, unfortunately for him, got injured in his rare appearance at senior level for Melbourne. But Max Gorn is ready to take his place, which means that they're at full strength, the Demons. And the Bulldogs, uh, yeah, look, they've got a few players unavailable, but of their of their core play. Now, you know what's going to be interesting? Do they bring back Josh Bruce? He was managed in the win over Adelaide. Norton performed particularly well. Do they need Josh Bruce in that forward line as a foil? Mm. I, I, I guess they're going to try it, but I'm not 100% certain. We are putting this together prior to the teams being named that he will, in fact, be selected. So that'll be an interesting look. Uh, Bontempelli playing beautifully. On the other hand, Petrarca playing beautifully. I'm not saying they go head-to-head, but they both play similar roles in that they are midfield bulls who are required to head forward and hit the scoreboard as well. Should be a brilliant game of football. I'm going to tip Melbourne. I think that they're building up to something pretty good. And this... Revitalised forward line on the back of a, a resurgent, not even resurgent, on the back of a, a sort of um, almost newly discovered Wiedemann is good enough, I think, to win the game of football. I'm going for the Demons here. Yeah, well, they were, they were really, really impressive against Collingwood. No question about that. Uh, and a very even performance from them as well across the board. But uh, again, um, the Hunches featuring largely in my selections this week, but I've just got a thing about the Western Bulldogs that they, they're not often erratic. Like they, they either are in form or out of form. Now, earlier this season, they won a, a string of uh, five games out of six, played some great footy. They then lost three in a row, uh, you know, smashed against Richmond, lost to Port, lost to Brisbane. They're pretty decent opponents, though. But it's hard to read too much into how easily they beat Adelaide last week. But I just think they're the sort of side that when things go their way and they get a bit of confidence flowing, it flows on and and seems to spill over into their results for a few weeks. That's what I'm counting on here. I just think that they can really take a lot of confidence from the way they beat Adelaide as much as how at the margin they beat Adelaide by. And turn that into winning form against the Demons. They do get, uh, they're likely to get Jason Hannison back from an ankle injury. I think uh, Tim English, um, he rolled an ankle last week. So he's got to, he's got to prove his fitness and he's a big task against him if he's uh, fronting up against Big Maxi. Are we 100% sure that Max Gorn is going to play? Is that your understanding? That's my intel, yep. Okay. Um, yeah, well, even that, even that notwithstanding, I'm I'm going for the Bulldogs here. I think that their best is still slightly better than Melbourne's best, and I think they may be about to start producing a run of that. So Western Bulldogs for me for that one. But you're right, another really intriguing game. Second one on the Saturday menu, uh, not so intriguing because one side uh, is playing some pretty miserable footy at the moment, and that is the once mighty Hawthorne. Port Adelaide taking on the Hawks at Adelaide Oval, 
Saturday afternoon. Uh, do we give the Hawks any chance here, Finey? No, no. Port Adelaide are going to be wounded from their showing against Geelong, and they are certainly on home soil ready to tear the Hawks a new one. Sicily adding to the Hawks' woes, and no, I just can't see them getting a look in. And I can see Port Adelaide being pretty merciless as well. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I must say, I got deceived by the Hawks' win over Carlton when they were five goals down and turned that into a five-goal win. They seemed confident and they got some some run going, and uh, it all looked pretty good, but. It's just come apart again. Uh, you know, a scrap against Freo, they lost that. Uh, you know, West Coast stitched them up in the end pretty easily. And uh, it's it's not pleasant reading. The win-loss tally for them, they have now lost uh, six of their last seven games and in uh, pretty unforeseen sort of uh, territory, really. And Sicily is almost the final hammer blow, isn't it, on a, a miserable sort of season. He's, uh, I mean, he's... Let's, Make no bones about it. James Sicily is now Hawthorne's best player, is he not? Um, yeah, it's their most important for sure. And an absolute key to that defence. Um, so pretty hard to see where they're going to get the inspiration from. Port will be stung by that, uh, you know, pretty ordinary fade out in the last quarter against the Cats. Uh, they'll make it look a bit silly in the finish. Uh, if they're going to sort of uh, underscore their premiership credentials, they have to have a really convincing win here. And uh, I think they probably will, as yep. do you. So Port for both of us there. The one watching this game, Rowan, Chad Wingard's actually had a really good season. And um, I reckon he'll fire up even more against his old team. So uh, just watch for Wingard to continue his good form. Okay. Uh, Saturday evening. Uh, back to Darwin and T.O. Oval, and it is the Dreamtime game. Now, normally this would be one of the showpiece games on the calendar at the MCG, of course, on the Saturday night. Still a showpiece game, still a wonderful occasion, which will be celebrated appropriately. And some would argue Darwin is a pretty appropriate place to do it as well. So it'll be uh, an interesting watch. In purely football terms, though, Finey, you've got uh, one side that is uh, gearing up for another premiership tilt. And uh, my poor old Bombers, who looked absolutely hapless against your Saints last weekend, didn't appear to have any system or or uh, any sort of urgency or intensity about the way they played footy. Um, this one has the capacity to get ugly. I don't think it will. I think Essendon is, at the very least, committed to being a lot more competitive than they were last week. But uh, just purely in firepower terms, uh, hard to see how they're going to compete with one of the flag favourites. There is some chance they may get Jake Stringer back. It seems a surprisingly early return for mine. But without him, um, their forward line is just firing blanks at the moment. There's just nothing up there. Uh, they might get a couple of others back. Uh, Redmond, Francis, uh, Devin Smith managed last week. He'll probably come back. But uh, they just don't have the personnel to compete with the Tigers. And I think Richmond wins this one pretty easily. Yeah, I, I expect them to come out breathing fire, Essendon. Um, not just from your tweets, Rowan, but from the response from 
sort of their their supporter base and just the football world. You know, it's a classic. If this game was being played in Melbourne, the spotlight would have been on them during the week and they would have been the responde simple play side. You know, there's always a side that, um, especially here in the fishbowl that is Melbourne, that uh, is asked at this time of the year to show what they're worth. So I expect them to come out breathing fire, take the game on a little bit more forcefully than they did against St Kilda because... I don't know what gorm is, Rowan, but they were gormless against St Kilda, only save for a short spell after the main break when they did attack the game and kicked a couple of goals. They were timid, nervous and without adventure. I think that comes back into the team. I think one way of guaranteeing it comes back into the side is by putting Conor McKenna back on a halfback flank. So you've got those two running forceful halfback flankers in McKenna and Saad that have in the past proved hard to handle for teams. Don't split them up. Don't put them up either end of the ground. It's not working. So Yeah, well, just just on that, as much about putting him back on the halfback flank, it's also about ceasing to indulge him. Uh, You know, you play where the coach wants you to play, mate. You don't play forward or you go home. Yeah, correct. And, you know, and don't do stupid things like kicking the ball to yourself instead of having a shot at goal or whatever that crazy moment was. But, yeah, get back to a a side that looks more like, you know, um, a a defence. Is Hooker due back this week? Uh, Touch and go, probably less likely than likely. One interesting likely return for the Tigers, actually, is Bashar Hawley. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's done his quarantine, so... Yeah, he will return to the side and make a difference. No question about that. But then again, a few weeks off, he'll be rusty. So an opportunity maybe for Essendon there. This game, I'm not going to tip Essendon, but by crikey, they'll be in it for longer than people think. Richmond for mine, but it's going to be a great watch. Either the continuation of the Essendon train wreck, but what I believe more likely is a bit of a reversal of fortune for us and a far better showing. Well, they better hope so, Fawny, because uh, the touch-up they got... <laughs> no, go on. I'm saying, are you at the keyboard ready to strike? <laughs> oh, well, the touch-up they got in critical terms will be uh, but an entree to what they'll receive if they turn in another performance like that. <laughs> let, let me tell you. Uh, all right, uh, next game, Saturday evening, 8.10, half an hour later, over in Perth at Optus Stadium. It is Fremantle taking on Sydney. Fremantle will be still, I think, hurting from that, uh, uh, how did they lose it, <laughs> that blown game against Carlton, which probably effectively has ruled them out of any sort of finals contention. Uh, so you'd think they'd be pretty pissed off and ready to respond uh, Sydney, meanwhile, well, they're coming off what was a terrific win against their hometown rival, GWS, and uh, should have plenty of confidence up. Uh, what happens in this one? Well, it was a win in Perth, wasn't it? Sydney it was. over GWS, so they'll be happy to stay there and take on uh, Fremantle, except in between the win and this game was the Elijah Taylor catastrophe. So that certainly was a distraction, I'm sure, you know, losing a popular member of the team out of the squad and there would have been, you know, a fair bit of disquiet, not amongst the players as to what happened to Elijah, but they, there would have been 
you know, a bit of investigating and this and that. So certainly not the ideal uh, follow-up to a great victory. Big loss for them, Dane Rampey, who has succumbed to that hand injury and is now out for the season in its entirety. Well, that makes it difficult for them, doesn't it? Uh, I'm going to tip Fremantle only because the numbers sit against the Sydney Swans now with that. And Elijah Taylor, who was part of the Senior 22, more spots to fill for a side that is already sort of bending at the knees. So Fremantle need to score more. They need to, when they're in front, um, not go back into their shell. They need to continue to take the game on. Hopefully they learned a few lessons from their Carlton loss. It's a game they should never have lost, but only have themselves, not the umpires to blame. I'll tip Fremantle. Yeah, I'm going for Freeman. I think, uh, I mean, Sydney have just been so cruel by injuries this year. We're never going to be able to afford many, but right from the start, I mean, we, we won't see Buddy Franklin. We may never see Buddy Franklin again. I don't know if people have sort of started posing that question, but we won't be seeing him this year. Isaac Heaney's done for the season. Uh, George Hewitt's done for the season. Josh Kennedy, I think, still a couple of weeks away. Now, Rampy. I mean, you know, they they just don't have the experience to be able to withstand those sorts of losses. And no. in some ways, uh, they've done pretty well to battle on as well as they have. Yeah, Fremantle at home, angry about blowing a game they should have won. Uh, look, it won't be by a lot. I think the Swans can scrap still as well as anyone. But I think Fremantle will do enough to take the points there. So Frio for both of us. All right, we turn our attention to Sunday and the first cab off the rank, 1.05 Eastern Standard Time at Adelaide Oval. It is the hapless Crows taking on the increasingly ominous-looking Geelong. We probably don't need to spend too long on this game, Fanny, because this could get very, very, very ugly. Yeah, five goals ain't going to go far against Geelong, are they? In fact, they'll be doing well to get their normal ration of five goals because that'll be one more than Port Adelaide and St Kilda managed against Geelong. So they'll be they'll be busting out. They don't score enough because they don't have a forward line that works. <coughs> Pardon me. I think Tom Lynch, is he right to come back um, into the side or maybe not? No, still a couple of weeks yeah, away, so I think. It's a couple of weeks away. He might. We might not see him again. Look, they are... If they're going to win a game this season, it's not going to be against the rampaging Geelong Football Club. Let's see how well Tom Hawkins can go this week, even though it must be said that um, probably Adelaide's best players are deep in defence. Talia, I know Dode is injured, but Talia and maybe get a bit of chop out from Kelly or a Hardigan. So not necessarily the easiest spot on the ground. Where Geelong will really profit, though, is through the midfield and off their half-back line, beautifully marshalled by the great Tom Stewart. So, yeah, Geelong, by how far? I don't know, but by enough. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they spelled a couple in this game as well because uh, they'll just be doing it on the bit. There is a chance. We've talked about Luke Dowhouse and his spot in the best 22, but has been injured, has had a foot injury. He's some sort of chance to come back into the side. Um, Radagalia, uh, probably to come back. I think he's had some adductor issues. Cam Guthrie, we've talked about what a wonderful season he's had. Uh, apparently a fairly 
light presence on the track for him this week. So, you know, if you're talking about spelling someone, maybe he might just have a week off. It won't matter. We've got Jack Stephen potentially returning yeah, to it. Won't, yeah. it won't matter who they spell, to be honest. And uh, that's just where Adelaide's at. It's pretty dismal for the Crows. And uh, I keep saying they will win a game. Well, it's pretty hollow words. I actually don't think they will, um, given how abjectly they performed again last week against the Bulldogs. So how far the Cats, uh, spelling stars or not, they are going to win that one very, very easily. All right, uh, second game on the Sunday menu, 3.35 at the Gabba. Boy, this is a tough challenge for your boys, finally. A really good test for the Saints up against Brisbane at their Gabba Fortress. What happens here? All right. Um, it's not a gut feel. It's about knowing your football team. I'm tipping St Kilda in this one. Uh, yeah, Brisbane will go in comfortable favourites, but they're not playing brilliantly, Brisbane. I'm not 100% sure where Charlie Cameron is. Uh, heavily strapped knee. Will he play? No suggestion he won't, but he's certainly got to play better than he has the last couple of weeks where his lack of free mobility has hampered his football nous as well. And he's not only not played well, but he's been a little bit silly on a couple of occasions. Uh, St Kilda's strength can exploit Brisbane. And it's exactly, I don't know if you recall when I tipped St Kilda to beat Port Adelaide in Adelaide. Uh, I did it on the back of real ruck strength with Rowan Marshall and uh, Paddy Ryder taking on Laddams, who's certainly grown in stature since then. But one out, he was up against it. And I really think St Kilda has a great opportunity here with those two ruckmen to exploit the probably one out Oscar McInerney. I don't know if they'll go with Matt Eagles again as a backup. That seems... Uh, luxury they may not be able to afford for much longer because, you know, that's, I'm not sure about carrying him just for a few hitouts. They do welcome back Daniel Rich from suspension. There is suggestion Cam Rayner may return from a hamstring injury. Look, they would be two big ins, but again, I'm not sure whether rushing Rayner back is the right move either. I just feel that St Kilda um, controlled the game against Essendon. Ross and Jones had good games bolstering the midfield. And, yeah, I, I think Brisbane's not firing on all cylinders. They beat North Melbourne by a point. So whilst tipping St Kilda against Brisbane at the Gabba uh, seems like an outsider's pick or a fan's pick, I'd say on current form, Brisbane needs to lift their ratings. St Kilda for mine. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm concerned that you've gone for them. You know your side pretty well. And uh, I think everything you say is is pretty true. I mean, you play North Melbourne. I think they subconsciously took that one a little bit easy. They always appeared in control of the game, I think, even though they only won it by the barest of margins. Uh, their win over the Western Bulldogs, I thought, was reasonably impressive. But then the week before that, they got chopped up in the finish by Richmond. So they're not playing at the level they were earlier in the season. There's no question about that. I think Rayner coming back is actually pretty important to them. I mean, they've just, with Cameron struggling with knee issues and uh, he doesn't appear to be a player that copes well with injury from my observation, but they've just lost that bit of spark and dash and dare, haven't they? And I think 
you absolutely need that against the Saints because um, that's one thing the Saints are doing. They're playing a pretty exciting, fast brand of footy. And we've seen the emergence of guys like Nick Hind. I think he's been terrific. You know, we're seeing uh, now that they're giving him the football, we're, we're seeing what Brad Hill can do. Uh, certainly dangerous up forward with uh, that's turning into one of the great forward uh, troikers. I'm going to use that word again with uh, King, Membry and Butler. Um, and their defence is pretty underrated as well. So they're developing a pretty nice little outfit, the Saints, and I'm, I'm impressed. And it will absolutely be a good test of how far they've come. I just think the win is as important for Brisbane. They They have to start rediscovering a bit of that zest, which has made them such an attractive proposition both to watch but in terms of their potential for success important game for them important game for the Saints too obviously but I just think at home needing to win I think Brisbane good enough to just get over the line I think it is going to be pretty close though Uh, another game that uh, is this is a really good round isn't it and another game that uh, has a lot of appeal at Optus Stadium in Perth 610 Eastern Standard Time it is West Coast taking on GWS. And boy, do the Giants have to start firing some shots sooner than later because they were miserable against the Swans last week. Do you give them any chance against the Eagles on the Eagles' home turf, fine? No, I don't. I don't. They were too disappointing last week. We're starting to see a real gulf between their best players and their bottom five. Uh, beyond that, West Coast... This is their last game in WA, at least till the finals and maybe beyond. And they're going to say farewell in the best possible style because they are so comfortable playing there because they know that Kennedy is, you know, a, a bit of a P in WA. I'm not quite sure he goes as well. Well, he didn't go as well in the hub, did he? So they can rely on, you know, a, a Genuine spearhead. Darling has not had a great year, but Ryan has come to the party. Last week, he was fantastic. Cripps is starting to bob up as Cripps does. That midfield, even though Yo is out for two or three weeks, starting to click, of course, with Kelly slowly but surely becoming an integral part of what should be a great midfield with himself, uh, Sheed, uh, Shuey, Gaff and Yo when right. We haven't quite seen the best of it. And as I say, no Yo. But the the band leader is Nat Nui. And he comes up against, well, I guess they're going to go with Jacobs. I mean, they, he just hasn't really worked out for them. They haven't, they've really suffered in the ruck. It's sort of, you know, as other teams have found new ways to lift their rating in the ruck, it appears to me as though, GWS have sort of gone backwards on that score and Natanui will feast on that. So almost at the at the source, first touch of the ball will be just about where GWS says ta-ta. They won't get their hands on any of the ruck contests and from then on they're hoping for crumbs, mistakes and spillages. No, it'll be West Coast for me. Uh, West Coast for me as well, but I, I think this might be tighter than some people think. And one reason I say that is the Giants, uh, they actually are a bit flaky, but that can be a positive too. It means that they're just as likely to come out the week after a shocker. And 
play inspired footy. They are expecting Toby Green to return from his hamstring injury. Obviously, that is critical for them. The other one that's pretty important for them too is Phil Davis. Um, so they would be two very handy ins for them. They have a history, I think, recently of, of pushing the Eagles pretty hard over in Perth. And, yeah, I, I just keep thinking back to the eve of last year's finals where they had two absolute Barry Crockers against uh, the Bulldogs and Hawthorne, held goalless for a half in each of those games and then promptly turned around and rattled off three weeks of amazing form to get to a grand final. So yeah. they, are, they are capable of rebounding suddenly. Um, the Eagles, you know, just on the injury front, one injury that's almost escaped unremarked upon over here, but it has the potential to be more significant than people think is young Jake Waterman, because I think he'd really been helping make that forward set up even more imposing than just Kennedy and Darling. Well, he's out for, I think, three weeks after a, a hand injury. Um, so that might affect them more than people think. Obviously, Elliot Yo, as you mentioned, you know, he's not a bloke you want to be without. But uh, at home, um, you know, I think they're ticking over okay, the Eagles, and need to make the most of what little time they have remaining at home. So it has to be a win chalked up for them. I think it will be, but I don't think it'll come without a fair bit of effort expended along the way. So West Coast for both of us there. And round 13 wraps up with another Monday night football special. Uh, don't seem to have had the discussion about whether that could be a regular part of the calendar. I still don't like it as a rule. I think everyone's had enough by Monday night. But this one is Collingwood taking on North Melbourne at the Gabba. 7.10pm. The Roos, pretty impressive in defeat last week against Brisbane Finney. I thought they gave it a really good crack. We're starting to see the emergence of uh, Luke Davies Uniac. I thought he's starting to just take a bit more responsibility on his head and imposing on games a bit more. Um, they've gone without some veterans in recent weeks or of more senior players and I think they've recaptured a bit of youthful spark about them. And, uh, boy, the Pies, well, have they got anyone left to play? They are just absolutely beset by injury issues at the moment. Uh, well, it's such a long list. It might take me five minutes to read it. Uh, Dugowie out for the season, basically. How out for the season, basically. My check's got to uh, pass a test to concussion. Uh, ben Reid did a hammy last week. He, we won't probably see him ever again. Uh, Jordan Ruffhead, uh, test a concussion, probably will play. Adam Trelaw, still three to four weeks off with a hamstring injury. Braden Sire, a month away with a quad injury. Um, Pendlebury obviously came back last week, but uh, they're just running out of fit bodies, finally. Uh, fortunately for them, they're playing one of the lower sides on the ladder. I think they're good enough to win it. Look, they have hung in there to an extent. Um, this is one they will literally, I think, limp over the line in. I don't think they'll win by a lot, but I'll give it to the Pies. Yeah, pretty important whether Majek plays or not. Do they bring Cox back to play in the forward line? Uh, they're starting to sort of clutch at straws, but I agree with you. I think they might be able to craft a win on the remaining midfield. Taylor Adams is having an excellent season. Pendlebury always puts in a good shift. And 
Grundy versus Goldstein will be a good contest. I don't expect any big winner in that one. They're both very good players. They'll both have influence without dominating one or the other. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Collingwood. You know, almost sort of the Richmond Gold Coast scenario of, of a team that just has won more in recent times. If the game is up for grabs, as it may be halfway through the third quarter, that's when you'd probably lean towards a Collingwood just because of their uh, ability in getting over the line. So I go for them on that basis. One thing about Luke, it's Luke Davis Uniac, is it? Uh, Luke Davies Uniac. Yeah, Luke Davies Uniac. I wish he's, he's quite a classy mover, isn't he? He's sort of a, a silky player. He is, yeah. Well, he can be. We haven't seen enough of it, but that's what I'm saying. He's starting to yeah. show a bit more of that. Because I'd, I'd wish he played like Mitch Robinson or Maddie Parker from St Kilda. Yeah. Because then he'd be known as Luke Davies' maniac. Well, he's, uh, he's quite uh, commonly known by the acronym LDU, which is rather unfortunate because what does that immediately make you think of? LDU? Yeah. Sort of a, a female contraceptive device. Oh, no, I was just thinking UDL. Uh, the, uh, God, what, what am I thinking of? Um, um, An IUD. I <laughs> that might, uh, there's something very Freudian about both those observations because <laughs> I think they're not, you, they're, not uh, un, they're not unconnected at times. Well, I think UDL and I think of going to a concert at Festival Hall and lots of teenagers standing. You always, it was always the place you saw empty cans of UDL outside Festival Hall before a concert. Um, I didn't see too many IUDs scattered around the footpath. What, what, was, what was the IUD that Marg Simpson used? Uh, I, I, no, I didn't see that one. No. Yeah, she, she used a brand. I think it was Hope Springs Internal. <laughs> Very good. Is anyway. That's their, that's their writers, yeah. I think um, it was called Hope Springs Internal. <laughs> that's good. Uh, anyway, you were saying about Luke Davies. <laughs> no, I just said if he played more like Mitch Robinson, he'd be known as Luke Davies' maniac. Well, fortunately, he's not known as the mixed drink or the contraceptive device. <laughs> uh, all right. So we, we, are always, both we in... always finish on a, on a, I'm not saying a high note or a low note, but just a different note. Yes, it certainly is different. But we are both going for Collingwood, I've established. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, that uh, perhaps fortunately brings us to the end of this <laughs> podcast. Um, uh, it's been fun. A uh, quick shout out to our sponsors, please, Finding. Yeah, uh, let's just really f- sort of wave the flag for uh, businesses that are still operational during lockdown four, and we've got two of them. One of them at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, and that is Andrew's Hamburgers. If you're within the 5K radius, take advantage of a burger that has so often been voted Australia's best and conforming to lockdown four rules, uh, still building and doing it with a couple of uh, famous football names as well. Matthew Maguire and his brother-in-law, Luke Ball, is Nick Spartels and West Point Properties. Great sponsors, uh, great audience. Uh, Thanks for supporting us, everyone. Uh, This podcast continuing to go well. If you want to support us in a, a more tangible manner, please head to our Patreon page 
and become an official patron of the Footyology brand. We've got some good stuff on the website. In fact, I, I do need to say this, making her Footyology writing debut today, Finey, is uh, none other than my daughter, Andrea. Great. Is Gee, that's right, good. She is writing a piece about uh, the cinema and how much it's been missed in these COVID wow. times. Oh, I was forward to reading that. Uh, it's a very nice piece. She's uh, she is a film buff, so that's what she'll be writing about. Uh, you'll be able to read her work it- on Footyology. Uh, she's I've made her create a new Twitter account to handle the various slings and arrows. So if you read it, you don't like it, uh, jump on there. No, don't jump on there and give her a surf. But uh, she is uh, she will be receptive to feedback, and then I'll cop all the angst from it. So uh, hurt her and you get to hurt me as well. That's great, though, because, of course, your father was a famous uh, film reviewer for The Age. And isn't that great that uh, a generation skipped with you focusing on sport, but uh, still journalist, of course, and your daughter taking up the family tradition. That's wonderful. No, it's fair to say I was the cultural black sheep of the family. Uh, um, no, I, I, I am proud. So jump on and have a look. Um, Andrea, her name is. So a big shout out to Andrea. Uh, some other great pieces there too. Scott Gooding's writing about uh, the treasure trove of old TV memories on YouTube. And we've got a couple of great pieces tomorrow, actually. I won't preview them, though. You'll have to jump on and have a look yourself. Uh, thanks for your company, everyone. Once again, we are about to move into Footy Fest 2, so we'll be coming at you from all directions again, but you will next hear us on Sunday when we wrap up this round 13. Have a great weekend. Uh, have a great footy weekend, everyone. We'll see you later. Listener.